talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're joining the lineup on KVON Napa. So hello to all our new listeners, and for all our regulars, this means we're going to be even more charming. Hard to imagine. It, it does seem hard, but we're going to see what we can do. And today, we're going to talk about how to age wine, or just how to store it. We'll take questions as always, and we're starting something new, a regular feature we like to call Really Horrible Wine Writing. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. This is Ball Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're starting with a subject that seems ageless. Oh, I thought we said no bad puns, Rick. Yeah, yeah, we did. Sorry. Okay, come on. My apologies. All right, today we're talking about aging and storing wine. How's that? Better. And how to do it, and what wines do and don't age, and whether that bottle of a 1998 high-end Chardonnay you forgot might still be decent. It would be if you're going to make a nice vinaigrette. There you go. And uh, I probably not even then. <laughs> Unfortunately, I ran across a friend who had a 1998 Chardonnay in her refrigerator, wine refrigerator, and she didn't know how she forgot about it. Well, I've got wines in my cellar that are too old, too, Rick. Yes. All right. So before we go too far down the road, uh, for people who don't know us, which if you don't know us personally, that you count yourself lucky. Um, If you don't know us professionally, my friend here, Paul Wagner, runs a company that represents wineries and wine uh, regions all over the world, actually. Yep. He teaches uh, teaches the Napa Valley Wine College. Napa, Napa Valley Co- College. Napa Valley wine College. Department. He's the wine department. I'll get that. Yep. Um, plays a mean guitar, rides a OK bike. Um, and he, On the faculty of the Culinary Institute. On the faculty of the Culinary Institute. And he's been my friend for a while, so there goes whatever respectability he might have earned. My, my, my reputation is damaged permanently. For <laughs> yes, it, it's true. It's true. And uh, to return the favor, Rick, uh, chief judge at the California State Fair Wine Competition, which is uh, why you keep inviting me back even when I can't taste myself out of a paper bag. I need somebody to taste those sparklings. And then also a lot of work, 30 years now. Amazing. You must have started when you were 12. I was 13, actually. 13 as a journalist Mm -hmm. in Sacramento, writing regular columns on television and hosting shows on Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. So lots of stuff. Yep. And that's who we are. Uh, Whether that means we know anything about wine, that's going to be for you to decide. But uh, we're going to prove a little bit about the fact that we don't age, even if wine does, because we're going to talk about aging wines. And that's always a question that you get a lot, I know, and then I get a lot when we teach classes, which is what wines age, which wines don't. Yeah, literally, as we were in the studio today, somebody came by and started talking about it with us. Right. It happens all the time. So let me describe how most Americans age wine. They go to the store. They buy a bottle of wine. <laughs> they drive it home. So you're laughing because you know you've been there. You've seen this. They go home. They, they take their bottle of wine. They drive it home. That's the aging process. And if there's traffic, they have to drive carefully. And now it's careful aging. Careful aging. That's pretty much it. The truth of it is, though, right, Paul, that most wines, especially most American wines, but most wines in general don't need a lot of age anymore. Well, most wine, it's, it's, I would be, I, I, I would say it's safer to say most wines today are made to be drunk when they are released. Right. They are made to be enjoyed now, and that's what you should do with them. You can, if you want, build a cellar under your house, fill it with lovely expensive bottles, and then go through an earthquake like we did in Napa and go into your cellar to discover fabulous bottles of wine in pieces on the floor. Yeah, and which is heartbreaking. Uh, Although, you know, as I told you, 
Um, I, I found one bright spot in the uh, the Napa earthquake. It, yes. It it uh, it took care of that mud spot I put on your floor when I went down in your cellar. Com- oh, I thought your comment that we could now finally get twelve glasses that match well, since all of our wine that glasses is another were shattered. Thing. So there well. we go. That's there are right. there are uh, two plus sides. To that. But I did come out of that wine cellar saying to my wife, you know what? Forget keeping this wine around forever. Only bad things happen. Let's just drink it. And right. I, we have been, since the earthquake, we have been making a little more of an effort going down in that cellar, pulling stuff out and drinking it because it sure broke my heart to see some of those bottles in pieces. Well, and, you know, even if you only have a 20-bottle wine refrigerator or you're storing them in your closet or you've just come, you know, right. we, we tend to forget. It's the new wine. You know, I have a friend who keeps asking me, what do I do with all that wine on the bottom of the refrigerator? Because I could put my, and she's got a 40-bottle refrigerator, puts the new stuff on top, and she knows it. She takes it out. She drinks it right. and, and forgets about it. And, and you know, there are uh, the, the Dorothy Gator and her husband, the former Wall Street Journal. Con- they used to have the open that bottle night. Right. I loved it. I loved yep. it. Um, we are sort of straying from the subject. Uh, if for those of you once again, Us? Uh, straying from the subject. So anybody who is new to the show, our apologies. It, it never <laughs> happens. Never actually happens. All right. So let's talk about what wines do age. What kind of wines age, so that people can at least get a sense of what wines they can keep around. Well, let's first. Let's, what wines let's, don't? Let's talk about something else instead, Rick. Let's talk about what happens when wines do age. Oh, that's good. Let's talk. Let's. You know, Paul. Why don't we talk about what happens to wines when they age? What a great idea. I'm glad you came up with yeah, that. Yeah. I'm so. Wines start with what are basically primary fruit flavors, the flavor of the grape. As the wine ages, those primary flavors tend to die back a little bit. But what happens instead is that some of the rough edges kind of wear off them. So if you've got a wine with a lot of tannin and a lot of acidity, those things tend to soften up a little bit with age. And the other thing that happens is you get complexity. So you've got two things going on there. The brightness of the fruit dies back, but then the softness and the complexity comes through. Now, which is better really depends on who you are, what you like, what you're having for dinner. The idea that at some point the wine is going to be perfect is a completely right. uh, wrong notion. Right, and 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 uh, the notion that as you age with as age adds complexity is really what right. I, I've been hanging my hat on. Yes. People say that well, I have yeah, become more complex. Unfortunately, you have to show the I've, complexity. Well, right? well, I have lost all my fruit flavors. Uh, the uh, <laughs> But the, but that is something that a lot of folks don't quite really get. They think that uh, when you're you know you buy a wine that is even meant to age, but mm. is that they think it's going to end up being larger and bigger and like the sauce has been cooking for hours and More hours, intense. right? But in essence, it gets quieter. Everything yeah, the, everything is molds the together. The developed perfume of the wine can get bigger with age, but the actual flavors don't usually get intense. They get less intense. Right. And and anyone should know that, you know, when the critics are out there saying good till 2024. Who knows? They're guessing. They're my, just guessing. My, my dear departed dad had one primary characteristic that he loved in great wine, which was that it should be smooth. Mm. And as a wine aged, it could have lost all fruit entirely. As long as it was smooth, it had achieved its purpose in life. And he liked really old wines. Right. And fair enough, that's what he liked. That's what he drank. And I usually brought something to his house to drink because I wasn't so wild about those. But that's everybody has to pick their own way to do it. All right. So the wines that somebody might intentionally age, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of wines that fit into that category? Well, first of all, dessert wines. I would say for for people who are 
just getting into saving a bottle of wine. And and there's a whole conversation we should have about how much wine you should actually have in your house if you want to save wine. Because you and I both know that if you are a college student and you've got this one special bottle in your room that you're saving for a special occasion, it will disappear sooner or later after you've had a lot of fun with a bunch of friends. It suddenly gets opened and it's gone and you didn't even realize it. That's where that bottle went. Yeah. There you go. So if yeah. you're going to age wine, you need, as you pointed out, you need you need six to twelve bottles in your kitchen at all times that you can just drink. Yeah, though I might argue not in your kitchen. Well, depends on how long. Some place quiet because we're going to talk a little bit about where, how long where and how to store in a minute. But you need six or twelve bottles that can just be somewhere where, if you need a bottle of wine, you can just grab it without taking that sacred bottle that you bought for your wedding anniversary. All right. Then look at, first of all, dessert wines. Uh, Madeira ages beautifully, lasts forever. Nobody drinks Madeira in this country. It's too bad. Vintage ports do the same thing. The sugar, the alcohol, all protect those very well. Um, some of the great German and French dessert wines, the great Rieslings, the Sauternes, Tokai from Hungary, those all age really beautifully. The sugar helps. Right. The acidity right. helps. Right. The alcohol helps. They're big wines to begin with, and as they get older, they really do complex. They, and they do develop flavors. And, and, and you know, it's it, the truth of it is sugar and acid are both uh, preservatives. Yes. And so, for especially for the dessert whites, and those those will age. And then for the you know the ports and wines like that. It's the alcohol, the high alcohol, right. and then the sugar itself. So those right. are the two things. So if yep. you're if you're just trying to wonder, those are those are ways to help. When you when you dive into reds, one way to think about it, but not always. But one way to think about it is the bigger, the rough, r- more robust the wine the more likely it is to age. Pinot, for example, does not age very well at all. Well, it depends. Um, because it, you well, can there's get always a with, depends on right. it. So, we shouldn't so say that. Let, there's let always me define that. So I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I'm going to say it. what ultimately decides that a wine will age well is balance. If a wine has enough acidity and enough fruit, it will continue to show well for a number of years. The wines that don't age well can be some of those really big, powerful, alcoholic reds they don't have much acidity. The tannins are very soft. And after a few years, they begin to taste like grape juice that somebody added vodka to. So it, you really— Right, because the alcohol doesn't fade. That's actually the problem with these big high-alcohol wines, if you wanted to age it, is that everything fades much more than the alcohol. The alcohol yeah. stays there, and it becomes but a But if somebody's like asking me, I want to—and and here's how it usually starts. They say, I want to buy a special bottle for someone. And I want them to be able to drink it 10 years from now. What should I get them? I usually recommend something like a Porter or Madeira because those wines are almost indestructible. They are so big and so powerful and so much alcohol and everything else that they do make it through. Whereas when you're talking, even with some of the really expensive wines in the world, storage conditions are critical. And if you don't store the wine right, you can give somebody a beautiful bottle of wine and they'll open it up 10 years later and say... Gee, thanks, but, you know, that wine really wasn't very good. Right. And we will get to storage a bit later in the show, but the one other thing I wanted to get to is the wines that don't age well, just that you should know, are often the wines that you we all drink somewhat, you know, I would Every say— Every day. Yeah, haphazardly was the word I was going to use because that's how I drink wine. You drink, it, you do it's, everything haphazardly, it's, it's, right? It's so. why much of it doesn't end up in the glass. <laughs> but, you know, so it's, you know, the, 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 the whites that we have often, the reds that we have often, those, you know, those— 
the you, you want your your whites generally with if, especially if they're not sweet is you want them to be very fresh. You're looking right. at wines that are this right. year last year. You want the year. fruit, yep. and the fruit want, disappears with age. Right. So if you're drinking wine because you love those big, rich berry fruit uh, elements in the red wines, or you love those lovely, rich peach lemon aromas and flavors in the white wines, drink them when they're young, because as they get older, a lot of those things disappear. And when that critic does say good to 2024, first off, he or she doesn't know what they're talking about. They're taking a guess. Second, that's until. That doesn't mean peak. That means it's probably what they're guessing is that wine's got 10 years in it, and then it's Right. It's I have guessed with a bunch of wines in my cellar, and some of them I've been right about, and some of them right. I've been wrong about. Right. So it happens to everybody. All right. Well, we will talk more about what to do with old wines or how to age old wines. What or just to do to, with an old wine. Which that's, that's a lot. There's, yeah, there's a lot of options there. We're, we're not we're not doing puns, remember? So oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Uh, but we are. Please. Can we do... <laughs> no puns. <laughs> You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll talk more about how to store wine in a little bit later. But it's time for our mailbag in just a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll talk more about aging wine in a bit. But first, it's time for our mailbag and a few questions from listeners. If you would like to ask us a question, by the way, we can air it. And you just need to go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is our website where you will find a place to ask us anything you'd like, although we would prefer questions on wine. Rick and Paul Wine, all one word. And our first question is from Marnette Federis in Sacramento. And she asked a pretty common question. She said, is there really such a thing as a good, cheap wine? I always want to ask at the store, but I don't want to look like a total cheapskate. All right, so Marnette, you're not a total cheapskate for asking that. Uh, but let's just say the answer really depends on what you consider cheap and what you consider good. And then I suppose the definition of is. But Oh, boy, here we go. Now, but, no, no, no. Are seriously, you running for office? <laughs> yeah. But seriously, yes, there are plenty of good, inexpensive wines. Well, in fact, at the California State Fair, for which you are the chief judge. That's true. We regularly select wines for gold medals that are not the most expensive wines in the category by a long shot. So right. there are lots of good wines out there that don't cost a bundle. You know, I did like uh, – we had um, – it was, I think, last year where one of our best of Californias, which is the best of its varietal in the state, right. was a $125 Bordeaux blend. And, uh -huh. and another one of those was a boxed Riesling. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show it, a lot of it depends on you. It, you should never be afraid to ask. You should never be afraid to ask. There's a, there are probably a couple of categories that you will find more good, less expensive wines, you know, in the medium whites, uh, you know, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc, those sorts of wines. Um, and and not in Cabernet probably is a, a place where you're not going to find a whole lot of $7, $8 wines that are so great. Those are harder to find. Yeah. But it, you know, I would take a different approach. And, and first of all, um, one of the things I love is the market research about the people who buy these really expensive 100-point wines. One of the things that um, the market researchers have found out is that many of them buy very inexpensive wines to drink every day. They just buy those really expensive bottles to have in their cellar. And so, Marnie, don't think that you're a cheapskate. Just think that your other wine 
is a $400 bottle of wine that got 100 points, but it's, you don't want to drink it. So you're looking at something inexpensive you're, to drink in the meantime. They don't need to know any different. Your other wine is a Porsche. Your other wine is a Porsche. That's right. All so right. here's my solution to this, uh, Marnette, because you are exploring one of the great, great adventures in life here. I would walk into your grocery store or even better, a wine shop that has a really nice selection of wines and go to the salesperson or just pull them yourself and say, I want 12 bottles, six reds, six whites, top price, 10 bucks a bottle. Give me a mixed case. I'm going to take them home. And over the next month of six weeks, I'm going to drink through. Of course, if it's Rick's house, it's in the next three days. I'm going to drink through that long. (laughs) I'm going to drink through these wines and I'm going to find two or three that I like. And every time you find one, Marnette, save the bottle. Right. And then the next time you go back, say, "Okay, I want two of that one and two of this one and then fill the case up with the other stuff. Well, what a fun adventure you'll have doing this. Yeah, and if you don't want to save the bottle, Rick's handy-dandy tip, which is, of course, a very simple one, is just take out your cell phone and take a picture of it. Right. You know, people right. are always, uh, you've heard me say this before, people are always taking a fix- picture of their dinner. Take a picture yes, of the wine bottle. Take a picture of the wine bottle. Yeah. You don't need another yep. picture of a shrimp. Yep. Um, all right. Our next question comes from Jason Rainier in Orinda. You know what? We didn't really answer Marnette's question. Yes, there are. Yes, there are good, inexpensive wines. And I would say that the person who can best decide that is Marnette. That's why I gave her that exploration there, is you could say, I love such and such a wine, and she could go home and taste it and say, man, that that Rick doesn't know anything about wine. I tasted this wine. I don't like it. So it's up to Marnette to decide what's good, but there are plenty of well-made wines under $10 a bottle that you can enjoy drinking. And plenty of places where they can help you find them. Yep. All right. Our next question now is from Jason Rainier in Arinda, and he says, One writer I see keeps calling wines rustic. What does that mean? He makes it sound like an insult. I've been called rustic. With good reason. Yeah. With yeah. good reason. You know, it's, I, but I do, I, you know, it's, it's always when I don't bathe or shave, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you get older and your bouquet really develops. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, well rustic isn't. Uh, it can be a negative term in wine, but what it really means is that the wine was made in a style that's got a little extra tannin that maybe they didn't try to work so hard on the blending. It's interesting. We ought to do a show sometime about, you know, the whole discussion about what's a natural wine versus a commercial wine. But nobody right. ever calls commercial wines rustic because they are polished. Right. They are – everything is in, in the right place. And rustic generally means that something thing is a little out of balance. Uh, Maybe the aromas are a little what we call full of wildlife. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean bad. And, and No, another, it doesn't mean and bad. And there's another way to think of it is when you talk about rustic cooking, often they're talking about things like stews or, right. you know, just one big roasted chicken. There's sort of, right. it's where it just doesn't have all the layers and layers to it. And, you know, so you can, do so we you, have time for me to tell a story about a rustic wine? Yeah, well, okay. it's our show. Okay, well, good. Yeah. Okay. Interrupt me if you get bored. Yeah. So I'm in Croatia. And a winemaker. Am I there, am I bored yet? <laughs> a no, winemaker. I'm just fun in Nepal. Go right ahead. Winemaker says, "I want to take you to a special place for dinner." So he picks me up, and we go driving. And it is, I mean, this should have been a movie. Pouring rain through these tiny little roads in the mountains. I figure if this guy wants to make me disappear, he is in perfect shape because <laughs> no, I couldn't find my way out of here with a phone. So we pull up in front of this tiny little town. 
little, I mean, these, these houses look like they came out of the Middle Ages, you know, low roofs, tiny windows, big heavy walls. And we sprint through the rain across this courtyard, pound on the door, they open it up. There's a huge fire in one room, in one end of the room. And probably 20 people all sitting on these big long tables, all laughing, all eating. And he pulls me in and this is a place and all they do is cure their own meats. Wow. And huh? salami, ham, bacon, unbelievable stuff. So we're drinking this and he says, or we're eating that, sorry. And he says, you know, the owner is going to come and offer us wine, but I don't recommend it. Well, the owner, sure enough, came by with this big stoneware pitcher of wine and he pours us each a glass and he says, you know, prost or whatever you say in Croatia. And the winemaker says, Paul, you can try it, but uh, it's pretty rustic. And I said, okay. So I try it, and it is, it really is exactly the way he described it. It tastes like something that was homemade a thousand years ago. Um, and he laughs and he says, okay. Well, not an aged for a thousand no, years. No, no, just, but, it, yes. it, it, yeah. He laughs and he orders two beers. And I said, no, no, I don't want a beer. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to drink that? And I said, what you have to understand is if I drink beer with this food, you've taken me to a really nice restaurant. You serve me that wine with this meal, and I can travel a thousand years in time. Right. How right. often do you get a chance to travel in time? Here was an opportunity to do it. I drank the wine. I had a great time. Well, and that is a—I I love that story because, uh, um, I, one, I couldn't really come up with any good insults, which I usually do, <laughs> but also because that's one of the really joys in wine is that, you know, wine is a creature of many things, including the experience you're yes. having yeah. and if it fits the place. You know, and you can think about the notion of rustic. Jason is like you know you can find lots of Zinfandels that one might fit that they're just yep. they feel wild and full filled with yep. fruit and you're in the right yep. place for those those are a great things so that's it's a way to think about it but um, but it is not necessarily an insult especially if you are in somewhere in the middle of Eastern Europe and you've well, got uh, you I got was a with a group of people fire. in in Italy recently and we ate at a beautiful restaurant in Ferrara small family restaurant. And the, we tasted Rafosco, and Rafosco is a rustic wine. There you go. And those people liked the wine so much. These were Americans that they actually asked the woman to please go down to the store and buy them bottles so they could take it home. Right. They liked rustic. There you go. We have a lot more questions before the show is over, but we are zipping up the mailbag, moving on for a moment. If you'd like to ask us a question about wine or anything, although we don't know much about much else, go to rickandpaulwine.com. <laughs> All one word, rickandpaulwine, then dot them come. Coming up, really horrible wine writing. Stay with us. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and every week we bring you some really horrible wine writing, usually from people who should know better. And we figure... You might not see it, and why should you not have to suffer? We do. We are calling the segment <laughs> Really Horrible Wine Writing. We're nothing if not direct here at Bottle Talk. All right, Paul, what'd you bring in? Well, you know, I have a certain amount of sympathy for people who have to write descriptions of wines every single week for the rest of their lives. You know, they got to write 10 wines of the week, blah, blah, blah. But even so, there are, there are ones that really get to me. This one I particularly thought was amusing. Garnet color, 
Just so you know, all wines are garnet, so it's a garnet color. Aroma and flavors of pickled beets and sweet relish. Mm. With a silky, vibrant, dry, yet fruity, medium body, and a smooth, amusing, medium-long finish with impressions of dried berries, sweet tobacco, and cocoa with well-integrated tannins and moderate oak. <sighs> oh, God. Well, you know, anything that's got beets in it, I'm there. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, but it's not beets. It's pickled beets. Pickled beets, right. So that's certainly what I want in my wine. There you go, folks. The newest trend, pickled beet wine. Pickled beet and sweet relish. All right. Mine is from also from someone who does this somewhat regularly. Let me read it. I have used this example in the past. There's an edgy mineral aspect to the plusher fruit, quince, tarragon, polished barley, orange oil, and Charente melon. A richness is there, too, but since it's a bit wound up, another six months in the bottle wouldn't hurt. All right. We've talked about this. I need to do this quickly. Charente melon. You know what that is? Yes, but only because, only because I've I told you. About you. It yes, many, and many I times. didn't, and I had to look it up. And it yeah. turns out Charente melon is a small French cantaloupe that tastes like, get this, cantaloupe. So all the person had to say was cantaloupe. I like the polished barley. Yeah. How long well, do you polish barley? I think if you use a good car wax, you can get it done in a couple of minutes. <laughs> all right, and we will talk more about aging wine and a few other things when we come back in the second half of the show. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. There are a lot of reasons to love wine, and we think one of them is that it's both a player in history and sometimes it's been molded by the course of human events. So now we are going to bring you another segment that we love. We're calling it... Historic History Moments. Paul, what have you got? Well, I was thinking about the idea of why we use the term credenza in an office. Why do we use the term well, credenza? Well, it turns out it, has, it goes back to the Middle Ages. And it turns out that in the Middle Ages, people tried to get rid of their rivals by inviting them to dinner and poisoning them. Now, you've invited me to dinner many times, Rick, but... Although you did comment the food was almost Not, like poison. No poison yet. <laughs> well, in the Middle Ages, they used to have a guy whose job it was to taste all the food to find out if it was poisoned or not. Apparently, retirement benefits were not an issue in this yeah, job. No, yeah, no, they, yeah, they didn't. Life expectancy was short in the Middle <laughs> That's Ages. Right. So when he believed that the, the food or the wine was safe to consume, the Latin word for belief is credo. It's where we get the term credo. And so he put it on a piece of furniture in the dining room called the credenza. And the credenza you have in your office was originally the piece of furniture where you would put the food that was believed to be safe to eat by the official taster in the Duke's household. Wow. Well, I've seen Mad Men, and they certainly put their credenzas to pretty much the, <laughs> different the, the, uses. The, well, somewhat similar. <laughs> All right. Mine is a, is a simpler one, but I do like this. Uh, it, it is the oldest known surviving bottle of wine is almost 1,700 years old, hmm. 1,700 years old. It was sealed in glass by ancient Romans. It was buried in a stone sarcophagus. They found it in Germany, dug it up in 1867. The bottle is still in, on display, and critics say it'll be good to 2024. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's right. All right, but that does lead to back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is um, aging and storing wine. Let's yeah. Let's 
I want to. I hope we have time to get to. Well, we will because it is our show. It's our about, show. We about can do what, anything we want. How you open age wine, but let's first talk about storing wine because we see lots of people do it wrong. There's some really simple yeah. rules to it. Yeah. And they are cool, quiet, dark, or yeah, that's, if you prefer, cool, dark, and quiet. Yeah, that's actually that's where you've often tried to put me, uh, and <laughs> I cannot blame you for that. Only the quiet. The quiet right. is the hard part. And this is actually a really good point. Is so. Cool, quiet, dark. Quiet is important. So, for example, that uh, putting that on top of the in the closet in your in your um, kitchen is some, often not a good idea because never a good idea. It's 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 usually warm. the cabinet it's, that people use to put their wine in is a cabinet that they don't open very often, which means it's usually the one over the fridge, right. which means it's ten degrees warmer it's than exactly, any place else in the kitchen. Exactly, and you know, for yeah. we were talking about that college dorm or that you know the the small apartment. Everybody's got right. the little cute four or six bottle wine rack on top of the refrigerator. That's right. That's great if you're opening the wine on Saturday, but it is Even really so. not a good, yeah, yeah. It's not a great place for it. And and the one that people write me about all the time is when their granny passes away and they found this really nice bottle of wine. And under how to her, age granny? Under her sink. Oh, okay. Under her sink. I was a little worried. The granny isn't aging anymore. No, okay. Granny's passed on. I was worried. So had under the, the wine. Sink. Yes. The wine passed on you know probably go, before granny. You know did. what goes under the sink? Cleaning materials. There you go. And that's that's really the there only you thing. Go. And you know the other question that that I'm sure you get as as often as I do, which is what temperature. And you know there's there's you know it, it, it there's 55, 52, 58, but really consistency is the most important thing. Yes. Now you don't want to wage, you know the cooler the better to a point, but you so you if you're storing your wine at 75 degrees, it's not great. But if it stays 75, yeah, at least a, 70. 70, yeah, 70, 70 makes me a little nervous. Yeah, but 75, but but 70 is fine. So, so a cool um, dark closet, you know, an yep. interior closet is fine. If you get a wine refrigerator, what do you set it at? Me, I go with 58 because that's the number and that again, I see the most. And again, we're not talking about saving wine for 20 years. Most people are putting wines in their closet to save for six months, for three months, maybe a year. And what you really just want is the wine should be cool, not get above 70 degrees. And keeping it at 70 all the time is better than having it go from 55 to 85, from 55 to 85. Um Dark because sunlight actually damages wine. Those bottles that you see in the liquor store windows, those aren't the ones to buy. Right. That's why that is why most bottles are dark green is because they actually provide some protection against the light. Right. And if you've stuck if you stuck them in a corner, which I sometimes do, even if they're only going to be there for a week, you put something over them. Put them in a box. Put well in yeah. your place. You better put them over them, or or yeah. somebody will see them. Well, and then that's they'll... me, actually. That's <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to them. Just, uh, and yeah. of, course, of course, the other way is to uh, is seal it in a sarcophagus and bury it for seventeen hundred years in but, Germany. Yeah, in Germany. In Germany. Yes. Um, yeah. But that's not the best. I always wonder what people in Miami do for cellars. You know, because I a lot of questions I get are from people in say the old South, where frankly a lot of that a lot of that land doesn't have has a pretty high water table. You can't dig a cellar, so I assume most of these people have their wine above ground. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, and, and well, um, most of us don't like you. You do have a real cellar, which is why I keep getting mud all over your house. But, right, um, it's also yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it has fewer bottles in it than it did well, before you, the earthquake. I was just gonna say you should know better than to let me ever get near your wine cellar. But that's, <laughs> that's another. All right. But, but, you know, and as long as we are talking about old wine, because I, I find the, the notion of getting an old bottle open really kind of a, one of the more intriguing pieces of the wine world. You know, we, 
most of us aren't going to deal with these really valuable, really old wines very often in our lives, yeah. maybe once or twice if we're regular folk. Right. But it is a very difficult thing. And I know you have had some experience with oh, some yeah. folks trying oh, to yeah. do and that. And I had one the other day. I was teaching a class, and I had a bottle of wine that was 25, 30 years old. And it probably took me 10 minutes to get the cork out. And it came out in pieces. I eventually did get the in, the, the, the cork entirely out of the bottle, didn't leave any fragments inside them, but very crumbly, very old, very weak. And so it, you know, your normal corkscrew doesn't do much. If you know how to use one of those two-pronged cork pullers, sometimes they work. But I had my favorite story about this is we were doing this tour with the great porthouses um, a few years ago, and each one of the producers brought a current bottling and an old, I mean, 25, 30, 35, 40 year old. And I remember we were saying old ports can be really wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful wines. Well, one of the guys calls from the airport and he says, listen, I'm tied up. I'm going to be late. Could you and your assistant please open up my wines and decant them so they're ready to go when the tasting starts? I said, no problem. Lots of experience. We go. I start opening one of the bottles. My assistant, who's a certified sommelier, knows how to do this stuff. And she turns to me. She says, oh, my God. And I look at her. She is absolutely white as a sheet. And she shows me her cork. And she has just pulled out the entire center core. The center of the corks. The rest, the outside the rest of the of the cork the, is still stuck to the bottom. That is not a happy sight. Oh, man. No. What do I do, she said. And I said, you know what? Be very discreet. Go into the kitchen. There's a there's a back room to this building. Go into the kitchen in the back room there and see if you can't carefully pull that out. You'll probably have to decant it. You may have to strain it a little bit. See if there's something there you can... Well, she came back four minutes later with a big smile, and I said, what's the story? She says, are you kidding me? She says, every other producer's got somebody in there dealing with corks that they couldn't get out either. Right. It just comes with the territory. Right. You know, another thing people ought to know about wine and, and is or older wines is, you know, you, you've seen all these stories of them decanting old wines, but— what you're only the only decanting you're doing is to get is to not pour the sentiment. You know, I I I think you want to pour the sediment. Not the sediment. The sentiment. Right. Well, no, the sentiment, the sentiment stays want, with it. You want Absolutely. the sentiment in the bottle. Yes, the, the sediment, sediment you want to get rid of. It's true. <laughs> you know, my uh, a friend of mine um, who is the uh, Mario Ortiz is his name, and he's a wonderful guy, and he is the sommelier and the general manager at the Firehouse in Sacramento, which is uh-huh. a very yeah. very good wine. Good. And uh, and a client or customers brought in a 1961 Lafitte Rothschild. So this is a wow. great year, That's great a bottle of wine. Great this is only a couple of years ago. So this is an old great bottle of wine. And Mario said it literally took him a half hour to get the cork out. That was the first thing. It did yeah. take him a half hour. He was very yeah. careful. Got the cork out. Poured right, went right to the table and poured them. And said, "Gentlemen, this the here it is. You'll have this wine for about 20 minutes." And mm. then what? I'm aghast. And he said, "That's all it's going to last. It's going to be." among the best 20 mm. minutes of your life, but that's all it is. And that's yeah. the thing about older wines is you- They can do, fade. They will fade. They can even, fade. Even the great ones, they're gonna, they're not going to last as long as no, a regular bottle. It just depends. Yeah. Some last beautifully and some oh, don't. That's true, I, too. I, I mean, I, one of my friends tells a wonderful story about opening up an old bottle of wine, and it was just dreadful. And it was so bad that he didn't even bother to drink it. He just left it on his mantelpiece. And uh, about three days later, somebody came by and took a swig out of the bottle, not knowing what it was, and said, wow, this is really good. What is it? And he was stunned, and he went over. And sure enough, in the intervening days, the wine had actually opened up and become a beautiful bottle of wine. Okay, I'm I'm actually— It's a mystery. I love the idea of an open bottle of wine sitting on a mantle. (laughs) For three days with nobody touching it. Some guy walks by and takes a swig. (laughs) I want to go to that house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. 
You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll talk more about uh, all sorts of things, and we're going to take some more questions in just a moment. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We're going back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. We have uh, been talking about aging wines a lot through the show. And mm-hmm. so my friend Paul here, he answers a lot of questions for allexperts.com. Yep, uh, I do. And, uh, and a lot of questions that you get are clearly about what we are talking about, whether this bottle is good, whether that bottle is good. I know that you get these all the time. So is any questions that stand out that could sort of be instructive to folks? Well, a couple of things. One of them is that what people, a lot of people don't really want to know if the wine is, tastes good. What they really want to know is, have I just found $10,000 yeah. under Granny's sink? And the answer is almost certainly not even They close. think they're on Antiques Roadshow. That's right. It's Antiques. Yes. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Now, so there are a couple of sort of general themes here. One of them is things like uh, distilled spirits, whiskeys, liqueurs, vodkas, rums. Those are so high in alcohol that once they get in the bottle, they don't change nearly as much as wine does. And as a result, good news, they're perfectly good to drink, even if they're 30 or 40 years old. But they're not going to buy you a house. Bad news, they're not going to appreciate much in value the way some wines do. On the wine side of things, it's very rare that you're going to find a wine that ages for 25 or 30 years. Uh, You know, I had a guy write me just the other day, basically a negociant, a blended Bordeaux that was from 1959. 59 is a very good year in Bordeaux. But, geez, that wine is now 55 years old. Even the greatest Bordeaux from 59 is kind of, you know, they're they're showing their age and all the sure, rest. Sure, we and talked this, about a 61 just a couple of minutes ago. This one is not one of the great Bordeaux. This was a bottle of wine that probably sold for the equivalent of what today would be about $5, $8, maybe 10 To save a wine like that for 50 years and expect it to be anything other than really tired old wine is unrealistic. And I had to tell him that. Yeah. Yeah, and luckily it was via email, so he couldn't couldn't throw things at well, you. Well, I'm always very nice to these people. Yes, I've noticed that you are. You should be nicer to me, Paul. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have one from Jennifer Snyder in Folsom, and she asks, do I have to drink champagne from a flute? And by champagne, she means any sparkling, but do I have to drink champagne from the flute? Can I use a wine glass? And by the way, what happened to those flat glasses my parents used to use? I need to go sideways on this because uh, okay. one of my favorite— now we're talking. Because one of my favorite news stories, and I use the word news loosely— We, we get sex in this show now. Yeah. One of my favorite news stories— Well, you know, if, if you don't know those old sort of uh, small—that you see in Mad Men, the, the little cups, cups of, yep. of champagne were uh, in legendarily uh, fashioned after Marie Antoinette's breasts. Yes, that was the size. So now you at least know something about Marie Antoinette. Well, uh, if you hadn't seen this it, this titillating news story. Oh, I thought we said no bad puns. Well, I, I, yeah, no puns. Sorry. Okay. Kate Moss released her own breast-shaped uh, champagne glasses just recently <laughs> in a run, London restaurant. Turns out, if you know anything about Kate Moss, you know they're actually shaped much more like a bread plate. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. But here's the thing that I like. I like that Kate Moss told uh, told European Vogue, she said, what an honor to be alongside Marie Antoinette. 
Of course, right after the party, people with uh, shovels and pitchforks stormed yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, went after and chopped her head off, yes. probably. That's right. right. So yeah. back, to, back to the initial question, which is— What was the original question? The question is, does, does, <laughs> does sparkling wine, does champagne need to be served um, in, uh, in, in a, a spark, flute? In a flute. And the answer is, uh, no, of course, it's beautiful in a fruit, flute. But, but you know, I was traveling with you, by the way, in, in uh, Franciacorta, the, yep. one of the great sparkling wine regions on the planet in yep. Italy. And they make champagne-style wines. And we went to, uh, well, we went to, uh, I don't know, a dozen wineries and had dozens of other wines. And they all came in wine glasses. Right. In fact, I think these days when you talk to people who taste wine professionally, a lot of them actually prefer a small white wine glass over a flute. Um, here's the problem with those open cups. And and um, they are a problem because they allow the bubbles to escape too easily. Right. So if you like drinking flat champagne, pour it into a cup and watch it bubble or, away. Or a bread plate. Or, or you talk to Kate Moss. <laughs> Um, but if you want to keep those bubbles in, you need a kind of narrower glass. But it doesn't have to be a flute, um, thank goodness, because the only two flutes that made it through the earthquake in my kitchen were two that I am convinced if there is a World War III, these two nah. chunks of Libby glass are going to be the only two things left. And by God, we'll toast whoever won that war with those things. I was going to say, so if somebody's shooting at you, hide behind those hide two Hide behind glasses. those two flutes. Right. How they... F- Ten-foot-high ceiling in the kitchen all the way onto the floor. Everything else broke. Those two bounced, rolled, wow. and they're still good to go. Wow. I will say this. I love I love bubbly in a, in a flute just because it is so pretty. Yeah. You know, and, and when we, we drink bubblies for lots of reasons, but most of us tend to drink it for celebratory reasons. I would argue it's great with all kinds of food. Yes, it is. But, you know, and for that alone, it is pretty. It's a great way to start a party. There's nothing if wrong with it. If you're trying to impress your significant other, a flute is always a better choice than a normal wine glass. But if you're with some real wine geeks, don't be surprised if they're perfectly happy drinking it out of a straight old white wine and, glass. And, you know, here's what you do. If you happen to not have enough flutes and somebody brings a bottle of bubbly, is you take out your wine glasses and you say, you know, all the pros drink All the like pros this. drink it. That's right. Not That's that right. we are into trying to let, look cool. Let, well, let us just be really clear about this. Not having flutes is absolutely no reason to avoid drinking sparkling absolutely wine. Absolutely right. Drink the wine. Drink the wine. All right. We have another one. This is from Sherry Silverman in Cupertino. And she asked, a server at one restaurant we said to, we go to, says, they have some keg wines. We just nodded. We didn't know what that means. So what does that huh. mean? Are keg wines any good? Yeah. Uh, actually, keg, it's a, it's a kind of new technology. They did some a few years ago, and, and people are doing it again. Remember that the biggest enemy of wine is oxygen. So for restaurants who are serving— I thought it was the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> no, no, no. Now you've just ruined the I'm LA sorry. market for us. It's Thank a, you very I'm much. Giving giving away my, my loyalties. Biggest enemy of wine, if I could continue, <laughs> biggest enemy of wine is oxygen. And wines, that, uh, restaurants that serve wines by the glass have to figure out a way. You pull the cork, you pour somebody a glass. Now what do you do with the rest of the bottle? It's got air in it. Yeah, you can sparge it with one of those things or something else. But the keg works perfectly because the keg uses carbon dioxide pressure to push the wine out of the keg. No oxygen gets in the keg. So the wine that got put in that keg by the winery stays, as they say, good to the last drop. Are keg wines good? 
they're as good as the wineries that make them, but there are some smaller producers who are exploring this technology and making some pretty nice wines and kegs. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to put it in much simpler terms. Paul actually described it correctly. Um, I'm just going to say— You're going like, to get it wrong. No, I'm saying oh. it's, like, it's like beer. It's like beer. Beer, uh. beer keeps its bubbles because it's sealed. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. there's another way, and some restaurants do this, and this is a little more debatable, and, and it really depends on the wine, but the plastic bag style— sealing too where they come mm-hmm. in 5 liter and and 25 liter plastic bags and the, and the principle is the same that no air gets in right um there the the keg- these aren't going back to the theme of the show these are not for long term right. aging right these are the wines and these are these often are the house wines these are right. the whites and the and the fresh reds and um the you know the keg people argue that the plastic uh, leaves a, a different flavor on it I'm going to argue that I've had both, and I, cu- I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, and basically that technology is the same technology they used for that Riesling that won the top absolutely. award at the state fair. Absolutely. Yep. Right, it is. Absolutely. And it will, and it does keep it fresh. And there's, as we were saying earlier in the show, there are so many wines that you want to drink fresh, particularly mm-hmm. whites, mm-hmm. particularly fresh whites or, or bright fruity reds. Um, yep. And so those sorts of wines, uh, they're exactly what you are looking for. Yeah. All right, we are going to zip up the mailbag for for this week. Uh, if you'd like, we to need ask, a soundtrack for that. We need a zip. Yeah, although frankly, we don't really have a mailbag. It's technology, <laughs> so we need an electric zip. Um, but we'll get one. Could we just get AOL to say you yes. don't have any mail yeah, anymore? <laughs> that's well. We hope that never happens. But if you would like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word: Rick and Paul Wine. And coming up, we have a food and wine pairing for you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We were talking about old wines off the air for a moment, and Paul was saying something that I I completely like this notion. We talk about wine as a sense of place, but it's also a sense of time, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, one of the most memorable bottles of wine I've ever had in my life was a bottle of wine when my daughter graduated from university. I had saved a bottle from the year of her birth. And to be able to pull that out and share it with a couple of her friends and her family at a restaurant and enjoy this beautifully aged bottle of wine. And it was a nice Napa Valley Cabernet that had aged beautifully. I mean, wine gives you both a sense of place and a sense of time. There's no other beverage that you can drink and say, I remember when. And it's a pretty magical thing. And it was a pretty magical experience to sit there and drink spectacular wine with my spectacular daughter. Uh, I had a well-aged Diet Coke that brought me back <laughs> to Monday. It was really, it was a beautiful yeah, you moment. you can't do that with beer either. Yeah, no, you cannot. All right, we, uh, we, we do this every week because we think that wine and food are something that are very important and need to go together. And, uh, but we usually, what we do is in our food and wine pairing segment, we start with if you are having a hot dog, what kind of wine would you drink? But I think right. this week we're going to go backwards. Since we've been talking about— Boy, there's a change for us. Well, huh? yes. it's Usually we're going sideways and in circles. Backwards at least has backwards a direction. A new... It's a direction. Yeah, it's a direction. That's, for us, that's an improvement. <laughs> okay, good. All right. But we are uh, we are starting with the wine. And so the, our pairing is going to—or our pairing question is, what do you drink with some of those— gentle, older red wines that we were talking about. Paul, what would you pick? Yeah, and while the tradition is that it's not uh, a a mild cheese would be a good match, I like the idea of well-cooked meats, slow-roasted meats. Nothing too heavy, uh, but not the bright red 
bloody steak that you're going to have with a big bottle of Zinfandel. No, you no, want no, something no. that that has has had a little bit of the life cooked out of it, but it's a little softer. You've been to my house. <laughs> you've eaten my cooking. Yeah, yeah. And that sets off that wine really nicely. Uh, and I, I'm going to go in a very different direction. And, you know, it's funny. And what made me think of this often, actually, is there's, you know, you walk by the restaurants, they've got mesquite grilled something or smoked something. And, right. And you smell that sort of light smoke. And mm-hmm. and what you, I my mind always goes to what goes well with that sort of smell. And it's roasted chicken. Mm. And a gentle roasted chicken with a little bit of the fat yep. still. Yep. Not a whole lot of crazy mm. spices but again, a more, to it. Actually, a more delicate right. meal. Not right. a big yeah right 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 and i think a, a light a roasted chicken with a, with an old red would be just, just a lovely lovely thing i'm on all right well so that's dinner we've got dinner figured great uh, that is it for another round of bottle talk with rick and paul if you'd like to ask us a question that we could answer on the air Go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. If you would like to leave your last name and a phone number, we can maybe even give you a call. And we're hoping if you learned anything today, it's just don't let that bottle get too old. No. Or your wine hosts. Don't let them get too old either. <laughs> too late for that. Speaking of which, I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. 